Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. Man, we are hitting our last week in our series in the book of Habakkuk. And so we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter 3. You can go ahead and pull your, your Bible out. Uh, if you've got a device, you can pull that at 2. Um, if you are not familiar with church stuff, but you brought a Bible today, man, be, be, feel free to use your, uh, your table of contents there because uh, I use my table of contents, especially as minor prophets and that sort of thing. Go ahead and and find them uh, there. But before we get to Scripture, uh, I want to get us back into the mindset of largely what is happening in, in the book of, uh, book of Habakkuk. Um, if we recall, there's this group of people who God is, is going to use to judge God's southern kingdom of Judah. So there's two kingdoms we have going on right now uh, in this, uh, this Jewish history of the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the southern kingdom of Judah, these people, these are God's people, and they have just essentially said, you know what, I'm not going to honor God anymore. I'm going to do whatever it is that, that I want to do. They're worshiping false gods. They're creating false idols. And as a reminder, we serve a jealous God. Like our God is a God who wants our, our worship and our worship um, alone. And so God is like, you know what? They are, they are doing all these things they're not supposed to do. I'm going to actually use this other group of people, the Babylonians, to, to judge them. And by judge them, I mean they are going to wipe out most of Judah, most of these, these people who are not honoring God. And so Habakkuk, he's from Judah. He is a prophet from Judah, and he doesn't like this. He's like, hold on, what do you mean you're going to wipe out uh, all of these people? You're going to judge this, this nation, this southern kingdom, um, as it were. And so he cries out to God about it. And God is like, you know what? Don't worry about, don't worry about this, Habakkuk. Even though this plight largely seems difficult right now, he said, I am not only going to judge the people of, of Judah, but on top of that, once the Babylonians come in and wipe most of them out, then I'm going to decimate the Babylonians as well. And so that is largely chapters 1 and chapters two, or chapter 2 from, uh, from Habakkuk. So when we get to chapter 3 now, and we're going to end it this week, so we're going to get through all of chapter 3 this week, all of a sudden we have a change of attitude from our prophet, our guy, Habakkuk. He remembers all of a sudden who God, who God is and what it is that God has done. And because of that, his response to God's promises uh, is something that we should all take to heart. The way, that he, the, the way that he largely honors and worships God is something we need to do. Right, Because Habakkuk, if you remember back in chapters 1 and 2, he moves from a place of anger and a place of like wrestling with God, like, God, how dare you, this isn't okay, all of a sudden to a place of contentment with God where he recognizes that God is not at his beck and call. Right? God gets to do what God wants to do because he's God and Habakkuk isn't. So my assumption would be that Habakkuk is probably now looking back, thinking about all of the things that he said to God, questioning God, questioning God's sovereignty, questioning God's power, questioning why God would do such a thing, um, and thinking, you know what, I screwed that entire thing up pretty good. I really, really shouldn't have responded that way. And we've all done that before, right? Like we're like, you know what, in hindsight, probably a bad call. I didn't react properly. Maybe, I, maybe my emotions got in the way a little bit or whatever, but... Um, it, it, it actually kind of reminds me of um, Facebook memories. Does anybody know what Facebook memories are? 
You liars, all of you, all of you guys are on Facebook. It's the largest nation in the world, okay? So Facebook memories largely is you log on to Facebook and Facebook tells you, hey, you've got memories from 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and you click that little link and all of a sudden it's all of the, the cringy things that you have said or the weird things that you've posted or whatever it may be that you thought, you know what, this is something that everybody needs to know at this point in my life, Right? So about 20 years ago when Facebook got started, I had started on MySpace and big, big technology nerd when I was younger. And so I love technology. I love the social media side of things, web, all that stuff, big into all of that. And so anytime something new popped up, I was like, yep, I'm going to try that, right? And so started with MySpace, had my top eight, had Jesus playing, Jesus songs playing on my page, all those cool things. Then Facebook came in, I was like, Later, MySpace, I'm going to go jump on Facebook. And early on in Facebook, man, you just, you like just updated your status. It's kind of like Twitter is now, right? Like everybody needs to know some of these things that are happening currently in my life. This is a very, very important, important deal. And so I jumped onto it, man. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to let the entire world know everything, everything that I was, uh, I was doing. So I'd regularly update my status. And being 20 or so years old at the time, I thought, you know what? These are funny these are really witty, as a matter of fact. I don't know who wouldn't want to listen to some of these updates that, that I have. Uh, so I found a few of them for you. Um, and uh, you get to hear some of what I thought was a good idea at the time. Um, I expect no one to laugh at these. I expect everybody to laugh at me, though. Um, so the first one was three-fourths of the boys in this house have a fever. I am indeed one of them, and it's not for more cowbell. Right? So he was like, more cowbell. What are you talking about? Saturday Night Live. You got to kind of read, read, through, read through that. Uh, so that's the first one. Next one, I have a confession to make. I love the Twilight series and Hunger Games. They're my absolute favorite. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Disappointment more than anything, right? Um, next one, before I became a dad, my dishes were a lot less colorful. That was the extent of that one. And the last one, I'm worried PETA hates me based solely on the amount of Mickey Mouse pancakes I make, right? So those are four, and it's like, okay, yeah, kind of fun, whatever. But I look back at those things, and Facebook has the audacity to remind me, like, look where you've been. Look where you have come from, right? Like, and so I look at those things, and I'm just like, oh, these things are really, really cringy, and they're bad enough. Is like you're, you're reading them and then speaking them out loud in front of tons of people just feels kind of pretty pretty gross at this, uh, at this point. And so as I look back at this, like even like thinking about Habakkuk, I think, okay, as he is responding to God back in this one place in time and he felt this way specifically and now all of a sudden he's on the other side of God's promises. He recognizes what God had, what, what God had done and now he's looking back and thinking to himself, what have I done? This is not good. This is not a good call at all as a, matter, as a matter of fact. And I feel like Habakkuk, even though he questions God in kind of the first half of, uh, of the book of Habakkuk, chapters 1 and 2, when he gets to this next part, Habakkuk largely comes to a realization that God is good amid the storms of his life. That's where he kind of lands. It's almost like a light bulb moment for him when he hears the voice of the Lord and his complaining stops. Habakkuk's questioning stops and he thanks God for who he is and he thanks God for what it is that he's done. Not just in the life of Habakkuk, he actually ends up thanking God for what he has done over the entire history of the world, the history of the Jewish nation, like all of these different things. And to be fair, all of us, all of us have been in Habakkuk's shoes before. 
All of us have. Not just like being embarrassed about something that you've said or anything like that, but thinking to yourself, the only way forward, the correct way forward is this way that I have set forth or this way that I know in my mind is, is correct. He's a person who thinks that, that. The only path forward is the way he deems correct. And when God doesn't do that, Habakkuk gets upset about it. Like, God, how dare you? Like, don't you know I have a plan already in place and you're going to just go ahead and do whatever it is that you want to do? Right? I have everything figured out. And he questions God and he doubts God. And then when he realizes he isn't going to get his way, all of a sudden his ears perk up and he begins to realize that God has everything under control. We ended last week kind of with this idea that God has everything under control, but our issue tends to be that we want to control all of the situations. We want to make sure that we can do our best to just try to like white knuckle everything. And as long as I just try a little bit harder, then I like, like I am going to get to a point where, where God is going to recognize how smart I am and maybe he will, he will do it the way that I, that I think that we should do it. But instead, we need to be willing to just kind of sit in the unknown and recognize that God is who he says he is. And it's our responsibility to trust him amid that. And trust is difficult, right? Trust is difficult and because we don't oftentimes remember who God is. And that's the basis for trust. Someone being authentic in who you know them to be. If somebody says they're going to do something and they do it, I am more apt to trust that person. Right? That's the whole basis, basis for trust. That's how it's established, right? So when my kids are three, four, five years old, they had a ton of trust in me that if they jumped to me when I was in the deep end, I was going to trust them or they were going to trust me. I wouldn't trust them to do that. But now they don't trust me to catch them in the pool, right? Why? Because I don't need to catch them anymore. They're on their own. The, the trust has been, has been established. Actually, when I, was, uh, when I was two or three, I was at Camp Sugar Pine. Uh, a lot of you guys know Camp Sugar Pine. It's up, it's up near the uh, Sierra Nevada, or it's in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And I was there for family camp um, with uh, mom, dad, big brother, all of that stuff. And I had complete trust in my dad, as little kids do. Because when my dad told me he was going to do something, he, he did it. Right? And so I'm climbing up on this jungle gym or slide or, or, or something like that, being very independent two- or three-year-old. And my dad at that point said, hey, Pete, jump. And being two or three, I doubt it was like I'm leaping to my father. It's more just like letting go and letting dad do his thing, right? So I go to let go, and in the last second, I, for whatever reason, no longer trust that dad is going to catch me. I get nervous about it. So all of a sudden, I clasp on to this bar with one hand. That bar swings me around the other side of the jungle gym, and I fall eight feet to the ground. I don't trust my dad. No, just kidding. That's not the point of the story. But I, I fell, and it ended up in the emergency room, like they called an ambulance as the emergency room, couple black eyes, gnarly gash on my forehead, like, like the, the, the entire thing. But when the time came to fully trust someone outside of my own ability, I didn't do it. And because of that, I got beat up pretty badly. Trust is established when someone says they will do something, and they do. The question then becomes, do you trust God? And the question beyond that is, do you trust God to be who he says he is and deliver on his promises? Or are you grasping the bar of the jungle gym, trusting in your own strength instead? 
And so why should we trust God and how is it that we remember God's trust in the first place? Let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 3. We're going to be in 1 and 2. Now I want you to hear me. In part of this message, it's going to be real helpful for you to have your Bible open. We're not going to be there yet. It's always helpful to have your Bible open. But in one portion, I'm going to be summarizing some of the verses because we've got to we gotta get through this whole thing. So we're going to look at 1 and 2 specifically. We're going to look at 16 through 19, but we are going to hit all of those verses. So that being said, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk. The prophet on Shigenot, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So remember here, God tells Habakkuk everything he's going to do, and then his response is a prayer here. That's what Habakkuk shifts into. It's a, it's a prayer. And it's actually kind of strange. You know that word, the very beginning that you didn't understand, Shigenot, that word that I said, you know, it's like, what's that word? Nah, whatever, probably doesn't matter. That word is a musical note. Like that is a, a way to communicate to the chorus director or the choir director or whoever is putting music forth that, that this is something you need to do. So this is going to be a musical response. It is a prayer, yes, but this is more of a worship song, actually, that we have going on here. This is a way that Habakkuk is going to respond to God in a worshipful, really, sort of way. It's a song of thanksgiving. It's a song of remembrance. It's a song of, of prayer that is so strongly worded that it's meant as a praise offering to God. And he starts the entire thing with telling God that he has heard about him, which seems kind of strange, Right? But he's essentially saying, like, God, I know you. I have heard about you. He says, I have heard how famous you are. And not just how famous you are. I have heard of all of the things that you have done for me. You've done such great things that I want you to repeat them in our day is what he says here in verses 1 and 2. Repeat those great things, God. Like, I remember what you, had did, what you have done at, at one point, we say this all the time, right? We're like, God, bring revival. And really what we're saying with that is like, God, move in the same way that you have moved in the past. Bring revival to our land. Bring revival to our church. Bring revival to our city, to, to our state, to our cut, whatever it may be. God, act in such a way that you have once acted before. And that's the same thing that Habakkuk is crying out, crying out to God here. This is a reflection largely of God's, God's character, this is an act of worship that Habakkuk is putting forth, right? He doesn't just tell God how great he is. He doesn't just tell God how famous he is. But then after those two things, he goes on to list some of the deeds that have made him famous. And so based on this report that Habakkuk got concerning who God is and what he's done in the past, he responds in two ways. Habakkuk stands in awe of how mighty and powerful God is. And this idea of standing in awe really more literally translated as he stands in the fear of the Lord. He recognized that God is powerful, God is mighty, he can do whatever it is that he wants to do. And so because of that, I'm going to have a healthy fear of the Lord in the same way that you would have a healthy fear of a dad who loves you, right? I am nervous about what he could do, but I also, he's the first person I'm going to run to if I need something. Same kind of idea that we have here. So that's the first thing. That's his first response is I'm going to stand in awe of who you are. But beyond that, he also recognizes God as creator and sustainer of the entire world, the entire universe. He says, God, you're incredible because of what you've made and what you continue to sustain all around me. The nature, the mountains, the rocks, the hills, all of these different things that you have made. Man, you are God over, over all of it. 
And so beyond that, then Habakkuk is hoping that what God did in the past, he'll do again in the future. So we're not going to read through, like I said, we're not going to read through this entire thing. But in the verses that follow, he talks about how God came out of a place uh, called Timon in verse 3. If you look at verse 3 there, uh, he's hearkening back to God actually delivering the Israelites during the Exodus account. This is a massive deal in Jewish history, the Exodus Hey, read the book of Exodus. We walked through it as a church about a year and a half ago now or so. And so Exodus largely is all of the Jews are in Egypt and they're underneath, uh, underneath Pharaoh's rule. They're slaves, all of these things. And so God raises up Moses. God raises up Aaron. He raises up some other leaders. Moses and Aaron go, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, fine, go. After all these plagues and all this stuff happens and God delivers them across the Red Sea. And so he's saying, God, Act in the same way as you did back then. Deliver us. Come, come from this, come from this place. And then verse four talks about the brilliance of God, the power that comes from God's hand. Um, and then verse five, he's talking about God's power. How back in the ancient Near East, important people they always had attendants. So if you're looking at verses like three and four, it talks about how how calamity and how uh, plagues are, are are God's attendants largely. So anytime there's there's plagues, God has them under control. They answer to God. Anytime there's calamity, they answer to God. God has control over all of those all of those different things. And so here he's speaking to God's power again, exodus of the Jews from Egypt, thinking specifically about those plagues that God threw down. Verse four then, or excuse me, verses six and seven, then Habakkuk talks about the earth. And he talks about how the inhabitants tremble before God because of how great and how awesome he is. In verse eight, he talks about how God is in control of everything, the sea, the rivers, the streams. Back when we did a series uh, about a month and a half ago or so, we were talking about the Psalms specifically. And we talked about this idea of, of ocean and water and sea, that these things were seen as tumultuous. And so anytime that you see these things in Scripture, these are things that are dangerous and scary. And it's kind of this idea of upheaval, right? Because it's not the same as looking at a mountain that doesn't move. You're looking at water that is constantly shifting and changing and powerful. And so when he talks about here in verse 8 that, that God has control over everything, the sea, the rivers, the streams, that's what he's saying. God, you have control over everything that's tumultuous, everything that's scary. You have control over all of it. There's even a small callback in there to the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea. And he says how their chariots were buried by water, but God's chariots were actually victorious. And so Habakkuk is going on and on and on. God, look how absolutely incredible you are. In verses 9 through 11, he adds more to God's arsenal, talks more about those things as he kind of, God readies his bow. God even changes the surface of the earth. He's so powerful and so sovereign. The sun and the moon, they stop in their place and they see the power of God's arrows. They see the lightning flash of his spear. And then Habakkuk, he actually switches the idea that this isn't just the earth. It's not just the creation that you have made that answers to how powerful and how great you are. It's not just those things. It's actually the people, the inhabitants of the world that are also going to submit to God too. It talks about four nations will feel the presence of God as a divine warrior, just like the Babylonians are going to feel after they judge Judah. Everybody is going to submit to God. But he came out to deliver his people. 
like verse 13 says. So it's not just like God is going to throw his wrath down on the earth and, and everybody's going to die and all these things. Verse 13, there's actually a promise of hope and salvation for those who acknowledge God as Lord. Can we just stop for there for just a second? I know oftentimes we're talking about, oh, I want you to come to faith and say yes to Jesus and that sort of thing. Can I just tell you that Jesus, that God is already Lord over everything. He's already Lord over your own life. All we are asking you to do is actually acknowledge the fact that he is. That's what he wants to know. He can do whatever he wants in your life. He can speak through people who don't believe in him. But that being said, that acknowledgement of him as Lord is your life is what really helps us to be able to have an eternal life with him. And verse, the first half of 13 gives the key to understanding the relationship of this chapter to the rest of the book. Because rather than ignoring wrongdoing as verses 2 and 4 talk about or allowing the oppression of his people to go unpunished, 12 through 17 in chapter 1 talks about God remembers his covenant. God remembers the covenant that he made to his people that I am going to deliver you out of this. And then he acts on their behalf. Right? The whole, the whole purpose of this chapter the entire purpose of this chapter and of God showing up is to show the continued presence of God's love and his compassion and his grace for those people who acknowledge him as Lord, but also showing that God is a jealous God and there is divine judgment that comes with that. And so here we have the answer to Habakkuk's complaints, that his people will be saved. And then we get to the end of chapter 19 or chapter 3, excuse me, get to the end of chapter 3 in verses 16 through 19. Chapters 16 through 19 rocked me this week. If you remember nothing else, if you read nothing else, if you highlight nothing else, if you underline nothing else, underline verses 16 to 19 because in 16 through 19, this is a proper response to what God has done in your life. This is a proper response to what God is going to going to continue to do. It is, this, is, this last section is one of the most profound and heart-wrenching instances of what the recognition of God should look like in the, life of believe, in, in the life of the believer. And this is what Habakkuk says, starting in 16. He, he says, I heard and my heart pounded. He's talking about, I heard the things that God has done. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at that sound, at the sound, decay crept into my bones. My legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. She's saying, look, I saw everything that happened. I heard everything that happened. I know what you're going to do, God. And I am, I am absolutely terrified about it. My heart started beating in my chest. My lips started quivering. Decay crept into my bones like I, like I can't even stand up right now. But yet I will wait patiently for that day of calamity, that day where, where the Babylonians are going to judge Judah. I'm going to wait for that day to come on the nation invi uh, invading us. I'll wait for that. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will be joyful in God my Savior. He says, look, the food is dried up. Your pens are empty. There's no grapes anymore, so we can't even have any wine. This is a terrible situation. 
Everything that I thought was good and helpful and sturdy and steadfast, it's gone. But, he said, he didn't say but, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Everything is going wrong, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Man, come on. You can't get much better than that, when you're, especially when you're talking Old Testament. Anytime you're even not talking about the gospel, that is incredible right there. If you look at everything that Habakkuk recounts, it leads him back to a place of faith. It leads him back to a place largely of worship. Because before, chapter, before verse 16, rather, everything that he had said was just the acknowledgement of who God was. And then he gets to 16 and a shift is made at that point. And that shift is no longer, God, this is who you are. This is now, God, I know who you are. This is my response. This is how, I, I'm, I'm scared, I'm terrified, everything is going wrong, yet, God, you are sovereign and you are good, and I'm going to rest and trust in that. I was, I had finished up my sermon prep for the week, and I actually had a conversation with one of my kids, right? Bedtime never goes the same way, bed, the same way bedtime is supposed to go two nights in a row, right? Right? All of a sudden, all of my kids are dehydrated all of it all at once. Everybody has to use the bathroom, right? I forgot to brush my teeth, whatever. And one of my younger kids come out, and he's having a hard time with fear this week. Just fear is just kind of wrecking him. And so, like I said, after I finished my sermon prep, I was like, bro, let, let me read to you what it is that I have largely been studying this week about the reality and the character of God. Like, let me, let me just read this to you. So I read him uh, verses, verses uh, 13 through, through 19. And as I was talking to him, it started from this place of, look how incredible God is. And there are times that God is going to pour out his wrath, but guess who he is looking after all the time bad things are happening. He's looking, he's looking after those who acknowledge him as Lord. Just like Habakkuk did in, in, verse, in verse 13. And then we kept going and we kept going. I was like, look how powerful God is. Look how powerful God is. And we started talking about his wrath. And I was like, we need to change directions because that's going to scare him. If he thinks God's just going to wipe him off the face of the earth, right? So we shifted directions. Then we got, to, we got to verse 16. And I'm like, look at everything that went wrong. They don't have food. They don't have animals. They don't have anything, but even though bad things are happening, what's Habakkuk's response to this, bud? I'm going to trust in a sovereign God. I'm going to trust in a sovereign God. And then we got to verse 19, and I was like, just listen to this. It was like, the sovereign Lord is my strength. And then I said, he makes my feet like the feet of deer. And then we got off to what feet like deer would look like if we had them. And it was really the end of the conversation. But amidst all of this, I got to sit in this idea that, God, you are sovereign. And, and my son got to sit in this idea of, I am scared right now. I am fearful right now. Yes, bad things happen in this world. Yet, I get to trust in a sovereign God. God is who he says he is. And because of the fact that he keeps his promises, we should worship him because of that. 
And that's largely what Habakkuk, Habakkuk does. Our, our, our trust in God should lead us to a place of worship, but oftentimes, can I just say, we get stuck in the idea of obedience instead, which is weird to say from the stage, right? Because oftentimes, like, even when you don't feel like serving God, serve God. What's that? Obedience, right? And on and on and on. And we get stuck, though, in this idea. Like, oftentimes what I mean is we are, like, so programmed to check the box of doing what, what we think is right. We forget about why it is that we're doing it. That we leave the why on the cutting room floor. As long as I read my chapter today, as long as I said my prayers today, as long as I listened to my audio book about Jesus on the way to work or whatever it may do. And we do those things out of obedience. Hear me. That's good. There's days I do not want to do my quiet time. There are days where I do not want to go to the gym, and there's more of those than when I don't want to go to the quiet time. But obedience largely is a good thing. But, but obedience left unchecked, obedience simply doing things for the sake of doing things rather than doing them because of the fact that we are just in awe and in fear of an incredible God, that's not good. We need to act that way we forget that our lives should be a reflection of God, not just because of, because of the fact that he says so, but because of who he is. That's why. God's character and God's, God's history, these things aren't just interesting. These things shouldn't just be journalism fodder of like, oh, I, Habakkuk, he's, he did all of these things. These things should force us to respond to him in worship because of how great God is. And this is before he even sent the Savior of the world. Right? This is before that. It's before Jesus. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even walked the face of the earth. And still he's talking about how good God is. This is before, like, this is before, like, can you imagine what this prayer would sound like if it was on the other side of Jesus' death and his burial and resurrection? The good news that we talk about all the time, because we don't go out like when we're writing in our journals or talking about Jesus or talking about God or anything like that, we're not like, oh, the sun and the moon stand still when his arrow pierces the sky. We don't talk like that. We talk about the fact that, man, I can't believe that, that Jesus came and died on a cross for me. That's the best news. That's the gospel right there. His prayer would sound more like, like, like God, we were, we were dead in our transgressions and our sin had swallowed us up and we didn't hear your voice for a long time. Hundreds of years we didn't hear your voice. But then you sent your son to enter into the world and be sin for us. God, we were destined for, for a life of eternity apart from you. But then I remembered what you did, that your son is famous on this earth that he was born in a town known for nothing and known for no one to a virgin who wasn't married and used the humble to make, to make the strong worship you. Like, God, you turn, your son turned water into wine. Your son healed the sick. Your son brought dead people back to life. And just when we thought that Jesus was going to take the world by force, God, you let him be beaten you let him be crucified. You let him die on a cross and be in a tomb for three days. And all hope was lost. And I didn't know what to do. Yet, I remember how great you are. 
And I remember that your ways aren't my ways. So on Resurrection Sunday, God, you, you, you had Jesus walk out of the tomb. And Jesus, he appeared to hundreds of people. And his, his disciples touched the scars that he bore. And he reminded everyone that death was no longer a threat to our life as long as we acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. Because Jesus took on death for everyone who would come and repent and believe. And now, God, he sits at your right hand the Savior of the world. He intercedes on our behalf so when I leave this world, I get to honor you forever. But we don't, we don't oftentimes think of it that way. Oftentimes we think of it out of duty rather than out of awe. It's our responsibility as Christians to remind the world of what God has done by worshiping him with our lives. And sometimes that means worshiping him through song. Sometimes that means talking to people about Jesus who don't know who Jesus is. And 100% of the time that means that our lives should be a reflection of who our great and powerful God is. But it's not. Because we don't act out of awe regularly. We're going to get to communion in just a second. So I'm going to invite the band out. And as people are moving, if, if you didn't get communion elements on your way, and you can raise your hand, and we'll have some people uh, come by. And as everything is moving, just, just stick, stick with me. Because the response to this, our response to who God is, is the same reason that we receive communion on a regular basis. We are responding to what his son has done for us. And so... As we like move into this time, I just want you to consider who God actually is. Consider what it is that he has done in your life. Consider his history that's recorded in his word. Consider the idea that his promises never, ever fail. And most importantly, that he sent his son to die on a cross so we could have life. That our spiritual act of worship is exactly what Romans 12 says. That we should, be, we should be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to him because he offered his for us. But in our response, I want you to consider why it is you've chosen to acknowledge Jesus as Lord. I want you to consider your relationship with him. Whether or not the way in which you live, the way in which you sing, the way in which you proclaim God is actually representative of who he is. Because we're going to get a, a chance to, to sing in just a minute. We're going to get a chance to respond in just a minute. And just being completely honest, oftentimes my worship to God, the way in which I, I worship God isn't out of awe, it's out of duty. Why? Because, because the, the worship pastor told me to stand up and so I'm going to stand up. And the worship pastor told me to sit down, so I'm going to sit down. Or the senior pastor came out here and said, I'm not worshiping big enough or loud, whatever. So I'm, I'm going, to do, going to do that. And I get it. Like our church culture, like y'all are Baptists, clapping is hard for you guys. And not just rhythm, but just like, I don't know why we are scared to see other people or to allow other people to see us clapping. 
But for me, when I'm truly worshiping God, when, when I am in awe of who God is, I'm like a person who's like, my hands are gonna be in my pockets. Sometimes I'm standing, sometimes I'm sitting. I'm not a big like hand raiser. So if that's you this morning, we get a chance to respond and how in awe you are of God, do that. But don't use that as a cop out. Because I also know there's people in here like my wife who like worship music comes on, hands are going straight up. And I'm gonna worship God with my life through song. I'm gonna worship him with my body, with my actions. Maybe there's some of you in here who's like, you know what, I am humbled by how great and awesome and how powerful God is. And so when I am responding specifically through worship, I'm gonna be on my knees. You wanna do that? Go nuts. There's no judgment here. The reason that we are here this morning is to continue to honor God with our lives and worship him in such a way so that he knows and the world knows how incredible of a God he is. We're not here out of duty. We're here out of the fact that, man, we just, I know who God is and I wanna know him better and I wanna worship him, worship him better with my life. And I want the world to know that. And so then once the, the song is over, we're gonna receive the elements together. And then we're gonna wrap up all of this stuff afterwards. But before we do that, I just wanna say, like, our communion, we believe in what's called an open table. And that means you don't have to be a member of our church to receive communion with us, but we would ask that you are a member of the family of God, meaning you have acknowledged the Lord, you have acknowledged God as the Lord of your life. You've acknowledged Jesus as the Savior of the world. And you want to do your best to exemplify that. This isn't a get out of jail free card. This isn't a I'm gonna raise my hand and so that way I can be with it be in heaven forever. So if that's you this morning and you've never made that acknowledgement, man, you're gonna get a chance to, to do that in just a minute. But I also know the majority of these people in this room have already acknowledged Jesus as Lord of their life. You've already done it. And so my question again to you this morning is consider, are you living in awe of his son? Are you living in awe of who Jesus is and what he has done? Are you living in awe of the creator and sustainer of the entire universe or are you just doing things out of duty? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for Habakkuk and thank you for his prayer and his worship towards you when he comes to a realization of who you are, of what you've done. And that his response is, is that God, regardless of how bad things get, regardless of the judgment that Judah is going to receive, regardless of the Babylonians and regardless of the fact that you're going to wipe them out eventually too, God, regardless of all of those things, I wait in awe and in wonder of a sovereign God because you're God and I'm not. And I will worship you amid that entire storm, amid the craziness of my life. I am going to worship you. And I'm going to worship you because you protect those and you love those who have acknowledged you, as verse 13 talks about, your people. So with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if there's someone in here this morning, Maybe there's lots of someone's in here this morning who just, man, you have, you have not made that acknowledgement.
And if that's you, you can simply pray along with me. We call them the ABCs. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that I have fallen short of your standard. But B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on a cross for me, to conquer death so I wouldn't have to be without you for eternity and see that I would choose to follow you every single day. And that's for all of us this morning, Father. That even if we already acknowledge you as Lord, as Lord of our life, that our lives would be as such that we would go out into the world, this aching, hurting, confused world who desperately needs to know the name of Jesus and proclaim him with our lives because we are in awe of you. We choose to follow you in that way, Father. We love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.